It's time once again for another edition of On Mike with Jordan Rich. Conversations with interesting, inspiring, and creative people. That's why I get out of bed every morning to don the headphones and do this podcast. Today, I'm talking with one such creative force. Her name is Erica Daniels Strater. She's had a long and very productive career in the arts and culture, recently finishing her time as executive director at Victory Gardens Theater in Chicago. She was president as well of Second City Theatricals, where she collaborated with Hubbard Street Dance Company, Willie Mammoth Theater, the Goodman Theater, and the Kennedy Center. Erica was also the associate artistic director at Steppenwolf Theater Company, one formed by actor Gary Sinise and Company, and she has experience as a casting agent for several Broadway productions. So what a wonderful opportunity to go backstage and talk theater with somebody who knows a lot about it. So I now invite Erica Daniel Strader to join me on Mike. Your resume is most impressive, young lady. I've got to tell you, I'm a theater guy, a fan, did a little bit of amateur work, but man, you've got a list of credits that's worth singing about. I've, uh, I have had a really wonderful uh, life in the theater, uh, given the expression that people say, a life in the theater, life in the arts, and I've been really blessed to work with some incredible artists over the years and um, for about you know 30 years made my living working in the arts, which is not an easy task to do and, um, and truly, truly loved it. Well, I love to go chronological. So let's start with you as a young lady, a student, maybe high school. Was this always a dream to get involved with, in the case of today's discussion, uh, the background of theater and casting and all that? Was this always a dream? You know, I found... I found the theater uh, in high school as a as a sophomore in high school. Um, I had a wonderful arts educator uh, in my high school, and in who really mentored students and, and made theater important. And my parents encouraged that, which was obviously very lucky that I had parents that encouraged my participation in the arts. It wasn't laughed at, and I wasn't it wasn't joked about to find like sophisticated work. You know, this was a, a theater artist in the high school who who introduced us to plays and not just musicals mm. and introduced us to some of the great writers. And I can vividly remember Jordan buying tickets for us. I lived in New, in New Jersey um, about an hour outside of the city. And I can remember buying tickets for the Sam Shepard premiere of a lie of the mind. This was, you know, his new play at the time. This had to have been like 86. I had a friend and I were going to go into the city by train and see this show. It had Aiden Quinn and Harvey Keitel and, Amanda Plummer, you know, these. this was the original cast. And it was a four-hour play. It had, you no, know, he hadn't made any cuts yet. My friend's mother forbade her to take the train in. And so my dad took me in, uh, you know, on a Sunday and sat through four hours of Sam Shepard with me. And I think in that moment, they knew, you know, they knew it was more than just a passing fancy. I, I spent a summer at Carnegie Mellon studying theater, thinking I was going to be an actress and went to school. You know, I went to Northwestern thinking that was going to be my my pathway was performing. Um, and that was my intention. And then found my way to to casting and working with actors as an agent thereafter, you know, after yeah. graduation. Now you explain why Chicago, Northwestern, of course, right? Getting out there. As a person who also discovered theater and loved it in high school, and I, as you can probably imagine, was the guy on stage, not as much backstage. But what I did learn, a life lesson that I'll never forget, was the importance of respecting those who work in the theater to make it run. How important was that even at your young age to to, to learn that, to understand the makings of a success? It's, it's a team effort. Well, I, 
I, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think there really is a team, in a, like by the term team and ensemble and collaborative, those are words that just always, always were a part of my DNA as a young person, you know, working in theater in high school, you had to build the sets. You know, I, I was the stage manager on a show if I wasn't in the show and, and you wanted to do that. Like you wanted to try different things and do different roles and maybe assistant direct. Uh, those were honors as opposed to, oh, you didn't get, you're not on the stage. So therefore you're backstage. It was incredible to be able to be a part of the design team uh, because you didn't really have design majors, of course, in high school. I don't think when you're in high school, you understand the village that it takes to build a play or a musical you're, you know what the actor's role is, you know what the director's role is, and you know somebody's building a set. But that was often a teacher. So you don't know until you really go to school or get into the professional world the number of people that are cogs in this wheel of making the art that you as an audience member are, are seeing. You don't realize the numbers of people behind the electric buttons that are moving things and moving the pieces. And it's it's quite amazing. When I was in high school, there was no YouTube, of course. So these kids who were building sets and doing lighting and all this and creating backdrops and art, they were all naturally gifted. And, and people in theater generally are, from the stage actors to the people behind the scenes. It's, it's a fascinating world. So uh, before we get to kind of the cool behind-the-scenes life of Erica, the casting agent and all that, what roles did you particularly remember fondly playing when you were young? Oh, my gosh. Well, Jordan, that's what's funny. So I think that's one of the reasons I never actually pursued acting professionally once I graduated, because I always played the mother or the <laughs> aunt. Like, I, at like 18, I was playing the 60-year-old, right? Like, I was never, like, I think I had one ingenue role my entire high school my entire high school career, I had like one ingenue role. Otherwise, I really was a character actress. You know, <laughs> I've aged into my look. And that's what that's what people said I was going uh, to do, which is why I was like, what the heck am I going to do for 30 years? Character actors <laughs> so, work forever. So, you you know, it's not right. the worst so thing it, in the but world. But it was very funny. You know, I, I, I always I, I played like one of the sisters in Arsenic and Old Lace. And I did... Um, I mean, I did, a, you know, a Brecht play that nobody's ever heard of. And I think like Adriana in Comedy of Errors. And uh, I, my ingenue role in high school was Ismaini in Antigone, which was like the Jean Ennui translation. I mean, this was like sophisticated high school theater. I'm not kidding. Well, and, um, I got to tell you, because it's bringing back such great memories. You know, I was a sophomore when I started and there were kids who were sophomores and juniors who did look like older people and they just had that way they carried themselves i remember music man my first play i was in the quartet and the mayor mayor shin who was played by paul ford in the movie you know big burly guy with a double chin he and he beard i mean he looked the part he was about six months older than i was but that's that's the cool thing about high school and and it still right. happens today to this day so no absolutely Got to talk to you then about an early experience with an organization called the Steppenwolf Theater, which I'm very familiar with because I'm a big fan and I've talked with uh, Gary Sinise over the years. The Steppenwolf gets its start in the 70s and their list of alums is so impressive. How did you get involved with Steppenwolf? Tell us a little bit about that theater. So yeah, in the 90s, I spent about nine years in Chicago working as an agent representing actors. And of course, any actor's dream was to 
get a role and you know and be on the Steppenwolf stage. And if you were lucky enough as an agent to have an actor talented enough to to grace their their boards, you know that was a big win for you. So I my first my first working with Steppenwolf was in the '90s, really as a as a talent agent representing actors. I would hope to get on their stage, and I had some success. In about 2000, 2001, I was working in New York City and I was like a junior agent at William Morris working in the theater division and working with some wonderful playwrights and directors with um, an agent named George Lane, who who remains in the industry today. Friends of mine called from Chicago. I I had lived in Chicago until about 99, went to New York. And then in about 2001, some friends of mine called and said, you know, Steppenwolf is looking for a new casting director. You should apply. And I think I've always been one of those people that the door opens and you explore it. Like mm-hmm. you walk through it and you explore it and you see what it's about and you just make a decision once you have more information. I did think that that working as a casting director at Steppenwolf would at that point encompass my work working with actors, writers, directors, everything I had done to that point 10 years in my career. I thought it would be a really perfect mesh of all of my skills. The artistic director of Steppenwolf at the time was a woman named Martha Levy, who I had actually um, had classes with at Northwestern. She was getting her PhD when I was an undergrad, and she had been a professor of mine for a couple of classes. In my time living and working in New York City, she and I had a, a phone relationship and an email relationship because she had to get through me to get to my boss to secure certain writers and directors. So we had a we had a nice rapport. So when the job opened, I reached out and we started talking. And um, and then to your to your point about Gary Sinise, that was a moment when One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest happened to be in New York City, and Gary was starring in it. That's probably the last, really, the last show he acted in on the stage or at Steppenwolf was the Broadway production of Cuckoo's Nest. So he was in New York, and so I. I did, you know, a phone Zoom with the artistic office at Steppenwolf. I, I met Gary before a performance. Uh, uh, and probably today this would never happen, but I went to his dressing room, right? Like, mm-hmm. even though, like, that was a totally legitimate meeting, you know, mm. you'd never you'd never go to Gary Sinise's dressing room in 2022 to take a meeting about a no, job. No, no. Um, And we had a really amazing conversation about Steppenwolf and ensemble acting and the importance of theater and the company and what he mm-hmm. still as an original founder of the company, what he wanted for this person in this role. And um, and I went to Chicago to to meet with the rest of some of the ensemble members and some of the staff. And in about four weeks, I found myself moving back to Chicago to work as uh, the casting director at Steppenwolf and also run their, you know, their summer school 10-week program. It's a remarkable theater with a great legacy. And uh, the story that I read, I probably checked Wikipedia, but I don't know if this is true. The name, it, it's not that deep an answer. <laughs> Steppenwolf, everybody knows uh, Herman Hesse's book. And apparently somebody who was one of the founders was just reading it at the time and said, there's a good floor. name. It was just on the floor, Jordan. Um, <laughs> You know, the founders are are three friends who remain incredibly close today. Gary yeah. Sinise, John, um, uh, sorry, Gary Sinise, Jeff Perry, and Terry Kinney. And most people, most people know Jeff from uh, uh, Scandal, the show Scandal. He mm-hmm. played, um, uh, I think it's probably the chief of staff role. And uh, he's also Meredith Gray's father on Grey's Anatomy. 
And Terry, of course, has had a, a wonderful television career between Oz and also his, you know, directing on, on the New York stage. So, but they remain close and and very invested in the company to this day. You know, yeah. fifty years yeah. later, almost. it's it's a great tradition. And what a what a feather in your cap in terms of your theatrical career. And I'm just wondering because uh, you mentioned New York being William Morris and so forth. Is there still a division of excitement, a division of pomp and circumstance with Broadway? In other words, you can be in Chicago, you can be in Boston, there's some great theater towns, but Broadway is still, I'm guessing, the ultimate gold ring. Am I right? I think for many people it is. I think, um, you know, Chicago has its own grit and style of acting that people, I think I think people think of Steppenwolf in that way, this realistic, you know, it was Gary Sinise and John Malkovich in True West back in the mm. 70s, and you have Joan Allen and Laurie Metcalf coming out of that company. When you think of those actors, it's a visceral experience. It's a, you feel something even just thinking about how they perform. Um, I think sometimes in New York with theater, um, you know, it's, it's the marquee is what you're casting. You're casting, you know, in order to get plays done nowadays, you have to cast a marquee as much as you have to cast a play. And I think with the work that Steppenwolf brought to Broadway always, whether it was True West in the 70s or August Osage County in 2007, or even they're bringing, you know, the minutes there by Tracy Letts in March. When you think about those plays, it was Steppenwolf that people were buying for the tickets. It wasn't a particular actor necessarily. People didn't know who Gary Sinise and John Malkovich were in the 70s. And certainly when August Osage County premiered, Tracy Letts, while well, we in Chicago knew who he was, right. people nationally didn't necessarily know, uh, and that launched. I read the New York Times Sunday Arts and saw the big full page. The big, the big one page ad for the minutes. So Tracy's the starring minutes. in his play. And he's, so he's he's an actor and a writer. It's a, a oh my gosh, incredible talent. A, huh? I mean, he's one of the most incredible talents. I watched yeah. the uh, Festivus episode of Seinfeld over Christmas and he's he's like in that. Oh like, my god, so he's in Festivus. Back in the day, <laughs> in the day Tracy was, you know, guest starring. Yeah. And then you know, he had a he's had a, a number of incredibly brilliant plays in his career. And then as an actor, like he won a Tony for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I can't remember that was in twenty fourteen or mm. 15, I can't remember. It was after August. And um obviously he's been in the television show Divorce and I mean, and he's married to another brilliant actress, Carrie Coon, from, um, and they met during from the, from the Gilded Age, the show yeah. that I'm watching now. Yeah, she's terrific. Yeah. She is so awesome. She's brilliant also. And she's a company member now at Steppenwolf as well. So, you so, know, um, so your role, you know, in terms of a professional, uh, but it's also a personal thing. You get to know these people and, and they become part of your extended family of people you know in theater. It must be kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, for many years, I mean, I would, I would have, I mean, I, I've considered many of them. I haven't talked to Tracy or Carrie in a while, but I still do email with Terry and Gary and I mm-hmm. zoomed with Jeff Perry a few weeks ago. I mean, they, you know, after a number of years of working there, I was there 15 years and you become, you become very close to these people and you really get to know them in a, uh, a very personal right, way. Right. Right. Some nice people, hardworking, very creative. Now i yeah. On this podcast, have featured many people in the arts, many people in my area, which is voiceover and broadcasting. But when it comes to casting, I've done a couple of shows with friends of mine in the Boston market. Um, in your case, do do people 
flood you with requests, actors that is, or are you sometimes, you know, the labor market is pretty tight. Are you looking for, not now because you're doing something else, but were you looking for actors? How did it work? When I was at Steppenwolf, you know, people, I think the, the most important, my most important mission when I was at Steppenwolf was to really have an, uh, a, an open door policy where people could feel like they could get through those doors um, and that it wasn't like the pearly gates. Mm. That was very important to me. I think Steppenwolf, when you walked through the doors at Steppenwolf, whether you were John Malkovich or, or Joe Miller, the, the one line person, people really were equals. And that was a very important time. That was a really important time for me because you really could see that as part of the way that institution was. But yeah, I mean, it was, when I left Steppenwolf, the gift, the Christmas gifts, they just stopped, Jordan. I mean, <laughs> at, you know, when I left, when I left and went to a different uh, place, it was amazing to see the the wine and the muffins and the, you know, gift cards. It was, you know, I felt I was nobody, you know, it's one of those things where yeah. you're like, oh, right. That's right, the biz. I, I no longer can get you the gig at the place you want to work. So I'm not as relevant. Um, Here, here's a question about that, about getting the gigs and so forth. Um, when you're casting a play this is a huge deal casting in movies is so important that's why they put the casting director right before the cast are you thinking in in general now are you thinking in terms of the the project as a whole and how a person will not only appear on the stage as that character but how he or she will mesh with a malkovich or somebody else yeah i mean you you know when when i was doing theater work you're first of all you're dealing with potential unions and numbers and budgets and things like that so you're, you have to think about just the practical things of how many union members do I have to have in this production? How many mm. understudies can, you know, you're dealing with logistics and then you're, I, you know, you're always asking, will this person play nicely in the sandbox? Because you're, <laughs> you're, that was an ensemble theater. So you were thinking sure. about the ensemble and the ecosystem. You are also making sure that um, people are going to be not afraid to be going toe to toe with a John Malkovich. I mean, I have, Katrina Lank, who, um, you know, since in the late now she's in company and she's um, she was in a, the band's visit and won a Tony and indecent and she's starring on Ozark right now season four, you know, she, she was cast her first play at a big theater in Chicago was opposite Malkovich. And, um, you know, you have to make sure that somebody that you're putting in a show opposite John Malkovich is it's not going to be afraid of that. They're going to mm -hmm. be able to really do that. And so a piece of it is not just, will they play nicely in the sandbox, but also will they be able to literally do this I, and, I, and I, not be afraid? Yeah. What, what I'm gleaning from what we're talking about, and I, I know this going in anyway, but is that uh, so much of success in an industry like theater involves obviously talent and obviously the look, but above and beyond all that, it's just as you say, the ability to get along, to uh, negotiate ego, to, to work well with others, and to not be intimidated. These are things that you don't learn necessarily in acting school, but uh, very important. Uh, maybe the Kaminsky yeah. method. Maybe he taught it. Uh. Oh, my gosh. Well, because there's, <laughs> always, there's, always going to be, there's always going to be another actor. And so... Yeah. Uh, you know, there are plenty of actors out there, but, you know, what makes you desirable to work with a, a with a certain group of people? There's a there's a number of things that go into it. And sometimes sometimes an actor just doesn't know until they start auditioning 
what what directors are actually responding to or seeing when somebody walks in and sometimes you have to side coach an actor like okay i'm bringing you back this is what you're doing that's making them not respond so don't do it like sometimes you just have to spoon like you're the right person i know you are so do this and then they do that and the director's like oh why didn't i see them yesterday and you're like you did but that's okay so so a good casting director like you with so much great experience, you also have to know your director and kind of understand what he or she is looking for. I think that's the best. You know, you learn what buffet that director likes and you learn how to speak their language and the types of actors. There are different types of actors. You learn what types of actors they're going to respond to. You understand body language that somebody's giving that might put somebody off or, or make somebody responsive and you, you learn to communicate that and you remember over time if a director liked somebody. So if the director said to me, I really like that actor, they're not right for this role, but don't let me forget about them. It's, it's your job as a casting director to not forget about that person. And the next time you have a job for that, mm. you, you go, remember, yeah. this is the person you saw for this and you told me to remember. Uh, and I- they... Yeah. And they I, like that. I tell that to my students who do uh, voice training with me. I say, don't ever get discouraged. First of all, my advice is something that I learned from someone. When you're going on an audition, always know in your heart you're not going to get it. By that, I mean, don't go in thinking, I think I can get Be very blunt about it with yourself and say, I'm not going to get this. So it takes the pressure off. But um, I wanted right. to ask you a question in your experience, Erica. Have there been those, oh, my God, where did this person come from moment? Has there been a moment like that? I, I didn't know anything oh. about this chap, and here he is, and he's blowing me away. I mean, I I will say I think Carrie Coon's audition for Honey and Who's a Raider, Virginia Woolf, was a moment for all of us. Um, she was, you know, she had done a few plays in Chicago. She really was from Wisconsin and had been working at a theater out in Spring Green, Wisconsin, when I had seen her first. I think we thought we knew who was going to be the person to get that role. Like we knew who the, we actually had like Tracy Letts, Amy Morton, Pam McKinnon, who was the director. I think we sort of thought we knew who was going to walk in and emerge. And Carrie walked in and I think surprised us all. And we had, we had the actresses read opposite Tracy Mm. in the final callback. And I think we all were kind of like, wait, what just happened? Who is she type of thing? You know, so I take credit for their marriage too, because if <laughs> she hadn't been cast. I mean, there have been a couple of those that I'm like, I just, you know, I've I have relationships all over the country based on, you know, actors I've put together. The fact that it's a marriage born out of Virginia Woolf, that play, where all things that matter. says something. That's right? very impressive. Very impressive. I, I, you're a, you're a definite uh, match for Yenta the matchmaker on uh, on a fiddler <laughs> stage. Um, look, looking at just a few other issues, and then I want to talk about what you're doing now. Um, the theater is such an important part of the arts community, the arts alive sense of of being. When we don't have it for two years, as we have with the pandemic. I think people finally are realizing how precious it is as they are music and so forth. Do you agree that uh, maybe the best thing, as horrible as it's been for the th- the idea of live theater, is not having it, that people will now appreciate it? I hope so. I mean, I, I, 
I absolutely agree that what, what theater gives us is the ability to walk in another shoe and experience somebody else's experience for two hours and engage and ask questions and be empathetic. And of course, there's just sometimes the sheer enjoyment of being in a space with a group of people at a given hour where the lights go out and you're experiencing mm -hmm. something in real time together and you gasp at the same time or you applaud at the same time or you laugh at the same time. And I think that's just a wonderful human experience. And um, I think not having it, I, I think you will see, you know, I think children that have experienced theater show, show ways that they engage with people differently, whether it's their social and emotional well-being. Um, and I think, um, we lose our sense of empathy sometimes when we're without the plays and theater because we can't, we forget what it's like to be in another's shoes. Yeah. So I, I hope, I hope the audiences return in a robust, robust fashion. I, I believe they are already. And I think it's going to be a, as, as long as things stay stable, a boon for theater, I think it's going to come back in a strong way. I'm very, very hopeful on that. Now you've gotten, um, uh, out of that game a bit, and I know we're talking about what you've done in the past, but let's talk about what you're doing now. Director of Development for the Jewish Community Relations Council of Greater Boston. So we could do a whole separate show, and we will at some point highlight that kind of stuff. But what does that mean? What What's your role? I have a COVID pivot, I guess, Jordan, right? I mean, I moved, I moved from Chicago to the New England area in 2020 and, and found my way to JCRC. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm head of, you know, fundraising and marketing, and I work with some of the programmatic team, but it's, a, uh, you know, we're, we're an organization that is, uh, you know, really representing the, the organized Jewish community in the public square. We really do our, we do outward facing work. So it's our relationship, the Jewish community's relationship to civic leaders and to our interfaith partners. And, um, it's been a really fortifying shift for me, um, you know, with the rise of anti-Semitism in the last couple of years and also just coming out of, uh, you know, what's been happening in, in the world, in the country with democracy being so, so, you know, what's going to happen with it. Um, it was really an important journey for me uh, to, to get back and do something that was a little bit more mission driven in, in personal to me of, of uh, my Jewish values. And it's mm -hmm. been it's been an amazing, amazing shift for me. I think the work that JCRC is doing in terms of whether it's our work at the New England Holocaust Memorial and fighting anti-Semitism and or our efforts in uh, fighting for democratic norms. And, and also, you know, we're, we are trying to, to keep the balance between um, and, and get people to sit at a table and have a conversation about the many, the many issues and of importance to our community today, which, in which many people disagree on many of those issues. So how do we sit and have civil conversations and agree to disagree on some of these issues, but find the commonalities and then advocate for those on behalf of the organized Jewish community? It's been, um, it's been very, very gratifying to me. And the website is jcrcboston.org. 
for it the is. Jewish Community Relations Council of Greater Boston, a very important organization, jcrcboston.org. So uh, as we speak, uh, I'm very impressed with your, your depth of knowledge and experience in theater. You get the pangs, as I do, to get back and have some fun doing it? Oh, not right now. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know what, you know, you never know what, you know, in a few years, but I'm... Um, I would love to sit potentially on a board of a theater. I would love to, you know, I'm always there to help young people think about how best to prepare for the world because I think most colleges don't don't do a great mm. job of educating young people for what the real world really is like. And I know when I went to school, I had no idea getting out of college what the heck the real world meant. And I love seeing actors I've worked with or advocated for on television shows. There's nothing more fun than that. I mean, and I love seeing good casting. Like I watched um, The Tender Bar on Saturday night. Yep. And I waited to see who cast it and then was really thrilled to see that a woman that I worked with in Chicago who has lived in L.A. for like 20 years, Rachel Tenner, was the casting director, and I was like, no surprise. That's no the one. Surprise, Rachel. That, yeah, that's the Ben Affleck vehicle, the tender bar, yes. and and it's it was wonderful. filmed. It was filmed in the Boston, in Boston. area, so yes. you know, very recognizable locations for those who live here. Yes. Very good casting. The people that many of whom we didn't recognize, like the young kid, uh, was terrific. Well, I think that was his first. Yeah. Like it said, introducing. So I think that was his first, and then of course I think Lily Rabe, who's had you know, a couple of wonderful roles over the last year as Ben Affleck's sister. I think she's spectacular. Mm. I mean, it's in her genes. I think she's David Rabe and like, I'm not going to get her mother's name right, but famous. Yeah. She's famous and, parents who and, are, you know, wonderful actors and writers. And seeing Christopher Lloyd back on screen in that and another oh film gosh. or two has been exciting. But no, I agree with you. I think the casting yeah. has been uh, uh, so long considered not essential. It is the essential. I mean, you put the wrong yeah. person in the wrong role on a stage or in a movie. It, it can change the whole thing. It really can. Absolutely. And so, um, to me, to me, it's one. It, it that remains the most one of the most essential pieces of the the puzzle. Well, you've been a, a puzzle solver for a long time. I am so delighted that you're here in our area and our midst geographically, but uh, I'm so glad you agreed to chat with me a little bit about this. And Gary Sinise, uh, I mentioned him earlier with Steppenwolf. What an amazing career, but as a human being doing so much for the veterans and He's amazing. military. His, uh, the Gary Sinise Foundation has done yeah. so much for so many, and he is as decent a yeah. person as you imagine him to be, and sometimes that's always nice to hear, I think. It is, absolutely. It's nice to hear from somebody who is a real pro who loved the work she did and continues to do. Erica, thank you so much and good luck. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks so much. What a lovely conversation. Erica Daniels Strader. Her latest gig is Director of Development for the Jewish Community Relations Council of Greater Boston. You can find out more about that at jcrcboston.org. But I had such a kick talking about the magic of theater with Erica. She's terrific. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow, Fast Twitch Media, to all the gang at Chart Productions in Boston, where we produce the podcast, and for all of you for subscribing and downloading, offering your reviews and ratings. It means a lot. Find out more about all of this at jordanrich.com. And until next time, be well so you can do good. Take care. Take care.